And so I've been doing kind of a little mini-series inside of the series of parables, uh, Matthew 24 and 25. And so again, the early part of Matthew 25, Jesus talks about his second coming. And the latter part of Matthew 24 and all of chapter 25, he gives five parables on what we're to do while we're waiting for the second coming of the Lord. And so obviously we want to be busy doing things that are pleasing to him. And so the setting, as we've mentioned over the last few uh, weeks, is here on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley. And this would be more of a modern day picture of it, by the way, obviously. And so where the Dome of the Rock is, is where the temple would have been. So in Jesus' day, it would have looked something like this. And so again, they had just come out of the temple. And if you remember, one of the disciples said to Jesus, And he just commented on how marvelous the temple was. And it really was a magnificent building. And Jesus said to him, not one stone would be left on top of another. And so when they crossed the Kidron Valley and got over to the Mount of Olives, and I believe it was kind of looking across, they asked two things. Number one, when will these things be about the destruction of the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so this is the Olivet Discourse. Again, the first part talks about signs for him coming all the way back to earth. And that can be paralleled, that passage, in Mark 13, Luke 21, and then Revelation 6 to 19, talking about his coming. As I've mentioned the last few times, it also is our coming as well. I believe he's coming back with 10,000 of his saints he's going to bring his bride back with him and so in order for us to come back with him we first of all have to go up and I believe the church will be raptured at some point all right and so there's a song that we sing almost at Christmas time joy to the world and we love to sing it but the reality is this is really a song about his second coming it's about when he comes and rules and reigns when he came the first time he came below the radar stream of almost everybody except a few shepherds but when he comes back the Bible says every eye will see him he's coming back as king of kings and Lord of Lords. And so this song was written about his second coming, joy to the, to the world. So we're going to sing the first and last verse. And so I'm going to ask you to do something so I should not do. But if you're able, let's stand together. I want you to give it 110% as we sing joy to the world. And wouldn't it be great if we were singing this when he came back? Wouldn't that be awesome? And so whatever your 100% is, if you're a grunter, grunt. If you're a hand raiser, raise hand. If if you're not a hand raiser, just move your wrist a little, all right? But let's sing first, last verse, joy to the world. Let's break loose.
Good stuff. And so again, Jesus gives five parables from the middle of Matthew 24 through Matthew 25. And all the parables just talk about what we do while we're waiting for the second coming of the Lord. And so the first parable was about that as we're waiting, remember that his coming, and I believe he's talking about the rapture, he's going to come on a normal, everyday kind of a day. People are going to be going about their normal routine, and he gave as in the days of Noah. And again, the example there was that people were going to be eating, drinking, they were going to be marrying and giving in marriage. I mean, they're going to be just going about their normal, everyday routine routine when he comes back that's why we got to be ready every single day because we don't know and if you remember he said that two women will be grinding at the mill two men will be out in the field two people will be in bed one will be taken and the other left he's going to come back so sudden that there's no time to change your mind that's why we got to know every single day we got to live it as though it were our last and the application he makes here in Matthew chapter 24, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So first of all, he reminds us, live every day because of normal everyday stuff as though today might be the day. The second parable he gives, he talks about the faithful and wise steward. While we're waiting for the Lord to come back, he basically tells us just stay busy serving the body of Christ. As God has gifted you spiritually, just use whatever gift God has given you to serve the body of Christ. That's what we're to do while we're waiting. In love, serve one another. And he goes on as at the end, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. And so again, the emphasis is he's going to come back when we're not looking, when we're not ready, and maybe when we least suspect it, all right? And so the third parable we looked at last week, that while we're waiting, we need to be prepared in case there's a delay. If he doesn't come back today, are we prepared in case there's a delay? And we looked at the parable of the ten virgins. And I just want to remind you from last week, he doesn't judge. There were five wise and five foolish. So he didn't judge them based on their number, because there was an equal number of wise and unwise. He didn't judge them on their purity because all ten were virgins. He didn't judge them on their intentions because all ten were planning to go in. And he didn't judge them by what they were doing because they were all slumbering and sleeping. So literally, the only difference between the wise and the foolish, the wise took oil with them and they were prepared in case the Lord delayed. And if you remember from last week, the Bible says at midnight there was a shout, the bridegroom is coming! Now again, in our culture, this doesn't seem to make any sense because in our culture, the wedding is 95% about the bride. And I am okay with that, by the way. I am okay with that. But in Jewish culture, it really was about the bridegroom. It really is crazy how different that is. And we understand because in the Christian life, it is about the bridegroom. And so he comes at midnight. Can you imagine coming at midnight? And they would often come at night to get their bride. That doesn't seem fair to the bride. I'm just saying. It doesn't seem fair. You know, catch her in her curlers or whatever. She had to be ready. And so he's coming at midnight. By the way, at midnight, what are, how many of you are waiting for the second coming at midnight? I am out like a light at midnight. All right, I am not looking for the second coming. I'm slumbering and sleeping a lot like the ten virgins, all right? But at midnight, again, a time that you least suspect he's going to come back. 
And he's going to come back, and they're going to be a shout. I always think of second, our First Thessalonians 4 there. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive in Maine shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. So he's going to come back suddenly. So again, the application after the third one. Therefore, be on the alert and be prepared and ready. For you do not know the hour or the day when the Son of Man will come. So again, all three, be ready. Live every day as though this might be the last day. we got to stay in that mindset. And so the fourth parable we're going to look at as while we're waiting, we need to increase the Lord's assets. All right? And so we need, to, we need to stay busy investing in the kingdom and increasing his assets. So before I read the, the parable, I want to give you just a real simple question that I think you will help understand the parable. All right, I want to look at two farmers, all right, and now I grew up in the city. I know very little about farming, all right. I am city almost all the way through and through, but I can get this one, all right. So there's one farmer, farmer number one, he takes all of his seed corn, he puts it in a vault in his house because he wants to save it. He wants to keep it. The other farmer, farmer number two, he invests and he gives his seed out and he plants it. He gives it away. Now, the question is, which farmer will be more successful? All right. Now, this is one that if you don't get this one, I'm worried about. Yeah, I really am worried about you. All right. You're either asleep or you, you grew up on another planet. All right. So all of us would know that the one who's going to obviously bring forth a harvest is going to be farmer number two. All right. It's pretty simple. If a farmer does not go out and plant, he will not have a harvest, all right? It's really that simple. And so that will help you understand. You still have to wait and listen to the sermon, by the way, but you'll get it. You'll get it. It's, that, it's really that simple, all right? So let's begin to read. Uh, we call it the parable of the talents, but it really means something different in our culture, all right? So do join me as we begin in Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. It's really important that God gifts us differently according to our ability i know people now many times when i've heard this parable preached they talk about our natural talent and i think there is some truth to that i think if we don't use a talent that god has given us we tend to lose it back in fifth and sixth grade i played the trumpet and i, I probably drove my parents crazy practicing trumpet Drums, those are kind of instruments you always take to grandma and grandpa's, right? Because they can endure that. But anyway, but I haven't played since sixth grade, so I don't even know if I could pucker up anymore, all right? I don't know if I could play the scale. And so if you don't use a natural talent, you do lose it. And so there is some truth to that, but that's really not what this, this parable is teaching, all right? Because in biblical days, first of all, the word servant there is the Greek word doulos. And there's really only one meaning for it, and that's slave. Now, slave is not a good word for us to use in our culture, all right? It's, it's not a proper word, but it is the word. It's really the only meaning of that word. And so in the story, when the master gives his slaves a certain amount of money, it's really not their money. It's the master's money, but they've just been entrusted 
to use it. Now, I want to give you some good news right up front. First of all, you guys don't own anything, really. You're just using it while you're passing through. Don't get to take any of it with you. And so we, like the servant or the slaves, God has entrusted with us. You guys, you, you know, when you're talking, by the way, we're going to be talking about money today. You guys already, so it's got really quiet. It, all, it always looks like a waiting room of a dentist's office when you talk about money. Now, let me just tell you this, and this really is true, that if you'll amen and get excited and look happy, I will quit sooner, all right? And so if I don't think you're getting it, I, I go back and I repeat a lot, all right? So you always want to make look like you're getting it, all right? So that, that helps me get through it. So the word, <laughs> sorry. thank you, Junior. All right. So the word talent there is really a weight of measurement, and it's the Greek word talaton, and, and we can understand why they translate it talent, because that's, that's how we would translate the word. And so almost every translation will say talent. He gave five talents, two talents, one talent, and we can understand why, but in all our culture it means something totally different, all right? And so this talaton was a unit of measurement for weighing precious metals, usually gold or silver, all right? And so one talent of silver would be about 20 years worth of wages. A talent of gold would be far beyond that. It'd be a, really a lot of money. And so the guy that he gave five talents to, if it were silver, that would have been 100 years worth of wages. That's a fair amount of money. One he gave Two talents would be about 40 years worth of wages, and the other one talent, which would be about 20 years. And so again, he gave them according to their ability. And so God gives us, blesses us financially according to our ability to use that for his honor and for his glory, all right? So let's go back and just pick up the story again. Then he who received the five talents went out and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, the one who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts. One day the king is coming back. Now let me, this is just my, my opinion, my heart, my understanding of scripture. I don't think we're ever going to have to give an account for sin to God, ever. I think that was taken care of at Calvary. I don't think we'll ever have to give an account of sin. And some of y'all should be happy about that, all right? But I think we are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our works and what we've done with what God has gifted us in life. And one of those things is finances. Have we been faithful and investing in the kingdom with what God has blessed us with, all right? So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Let me just say this again. I said it in one of the other parables. It seems like that if we're faithful in this life journey, God is going to bless us by giving us more responsibility in the millennial kingdom. Now, it's going to be based, what, how God uses us in the millennial kingdom seems to be based on how faithful we are in this journey. And so we want to be used. And notice he says to the guy, enter into the joy of your Lord. Let me say this, when you begin to get freed up in the area of money and begin to just share it as God leads you to share it, it does bring joy. It really does bring joy to have freedom 
over this area. Now, again, you remember the part about you're supposed to look happy, all right? You guys forgot about all that, all right? So, again, I, I want to say we're not going to take an offering at the end of the service, all right? You guys are good. You're, you're going to be good, all right? You're going to be good as, as you leave today. And so the guy that had two, he also made two more. He who received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more besides them. And notice the Lord says the exact same thing to the guy who increased by two to the guy that increased by five. You see, he, he doesn't compare us to each other, but he compares us based on what he's gifted us with. And that if we're faithful with what little he's given us, I think we're going to get the same reward as people who have been given large amounts. All right, So it isn't about how much you have, it's about how faithful you are. So he says to the guy with two, same exact thing, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Same exact thing. I think that's interesting. But he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, uh, there you have what is yours. And so can I just say this about the guy, and I know he's going to be the bad guy, he's going to be the wicked servant, but can I just give him this much? He didn't spend it on himself. I mean, he didn't go out and just waste it. He did keep what the master gave him, and the problem wasn't that he used it bad. He just didn't do anything with it. And so he expects us to do something with what he's given us, all right? So his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back at least my own with interest. So he should have done something. And by the way, when he comes back, the last parable we're going to look at next week, the judgment of the nations, I want to say this, when he turns to the goats who aren't going to fare so well, I want you to know next week what he says to the goats, he doesn't say they did anything wrong. What he's so upset about with the goats is they did nothing at all. That they, they did nothing. And the Christian life is more than just trying to stay away from sin. The Christian life is a life of doing something. It's a life of giving back. It's a life of, again, investing in the kingdom. So again, the last thing he says, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given. Can, I, can we just all say that together? For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. I'm going to give you some really good news, man. God wants to bless us big time. But he's not going to bless the believer who hoards and keeps. It's the one who scatters, kind of like the farmer. If you choose not to share and not to invest, God's not going to bless. But he wants to bless that person that's just sharing along the journey of life. Now, should you take care of your family? Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. You should take care of your family. But I believe God has blessed us so that we can bless others along the journey. All right? And so the, the unprofitable servant gets cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, again, I'm just saying from my perspective, I'm trying to be honest. It seems like he still didn't waste it on himself. I mean, I, it seemed like he could still 
be some positive there, but God was very disappointed, all right? And so I want to just share with you what the grave of a poor man and the grave of a rich man look like. I've done over 500 funerals in my 41 years. I've sat at a lot of grave sites where they lower the casket. They all look the same. Job said in Job 121, we came with nothing, we're leaving with nothing. So I just want to just go ahead and tell you, you're not going to take any with you. So while we're here, while we're on the journey, again, you can take care of your family, but always know that if God ever asked to, to, for you to share something, you share it. Now, if a pastor tells you, I'd pray about it. I'd pray about it. But when the Holy Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, you obey the Spirit. Can I just tell you, most of the time when I hear a, a, a pastor talking about giving, it's usually because they're behind budget or he's trying to put some guilt on people, and that's why we don't like to hear it. But I want to give you some good news, man. This is a positive message. And those of you who say, man, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to save for a rainy day, I'd work really hard at it. Because when God gets ready, he's going to let it rain. And I'm just going to tell you, you can't save up enough money if God lets it rain on you. It'd be so much better to share along the way because we don't know when he's going to come back. And so hopefully he comes back and says to each of us, well done. You were so faithful with what I gave you. All right? So I want to give you some verses in the Bible that talk about, again, the, the idea of the farmer. A farmer only receives when he gives out. Now, I grew up in church. I was going to church nine months before I was born. And I remember people saying to me, you should, you should give and never expect anything back. Just give, but, but never expect anything back. Can I tell you, even though that sounds humble, it's not biblical. If God makes a promise, don't you think God is big enough to meet that promise? You know, we claim promises, but in this area, for some reason, we're, we're told don't expect anything back. I think I've shared with the church my, one of the things that changed my life forever. I was 19 years old. I went to a Bible conference, and they talked about different things. But one guy talked all week about giving, which is really weird. And most people in our group didn't get excited about it. But as a 19-year-old, and he wasn't just talking about giving and, you know, just kind of doing your thing. But he was talking about the joy and the abundance of giving. And in his own life, it was just something that God had gifted him in. In his own life, he, he took his first church for $35 a week. 35 Now, this was probably back in the 50s, and it probably went further back then, but still wasn't much. He had five kids, and he made 35 a week, and he gave five to the church. But he gave story after story after story after story of God intervened and God providing for his family. As a 19-year-old, I grew up in Sunday school hearing, God can do anything. Our God can do anything. He shut the mouths of lions. He can part the sea. But I had not seen God do anything in my life. And when I heard him talk about the joy of giving, the abundance of giving, as a 19-year-old, I can still remember saying, I want to experience that. I want to experience God doing something only God can do. And then I got to reading the promises in the Bible. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, every promise that challenges us to give will turn right around and say, I will bless your socks off. And then people say, oh, don't expect it. That's like telling a farmer when you're planting that seed, don't expect a harvest. 
I wouldn't expect anything. I'd just plant and be happy. I can't imagine a farmer going through all that work and not expecting a harvest. Some of y'all are still holding on to your wallet. Hold tight. Hold tight. We're not going to take an offering. We're not going to take an offering. Let me give you some, some promises in the Bible. And, and this ought to make you happy, all right? And again, even if you're not happy, fake it, all right? Nod, amen, because I will get through this much quicker. All right, Proverbs, somebody said amen. Junior, can I rinse you out in every service, man? All right, Proverbs 11. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There's one who withholds more than is right and leads to poverty. Kind of sounds like the more you scatter, the more you get. The more you share along the journey, the more you receive. Proverbs 19. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Kind of sounds like when you share and help others in need along the journey, you're just lending a little money to the Lord. And I just want to tell you, he pays good interest. All right? He pays good interest. Malachi 3.10, which is the Baptist national anthem. All right? I grew up you know, hearing the ser sermons about tithing. And I'm just being honest, it's not a popular sermon. And again, a lot of pastors, when they do it, it's because they're behind budget and they're trying to guilt people. I want to I just say right now, our church is off the charts giving. We're not hurting financially. We're doing great. And so I'm kind of preaching to the choir. I'm just trying to encourage you because people say, oh, we're going through this COVID. It's, it's pretty tough and we better. How are we going to make it through? The only way I know we're going to make it through is get in on God's economy. His economy isn't based on our economy. So in Malachi, if you remember in, in Malachi, they were still offering sacrifices to God. But instead of giving God their best, they were given diseased animals, lame. And they would offer it to God as a sacrifice. That's kind of like us when the offering plate comes by. I say, I guess I'll throw in a dollar. I remember years ago, true story, they were collecting stuff for the church kitchen. And one family, true story, a family got a new dog bowl for their dog and donated the old dog bowl to the church. That's church history right there. And so in Malachi's day, God was so tired of them giving him less than the best. He says in chapter 2, I'm about ready to take the dung from the animals that you're sacrificing and rub it in your face. How many of you think that would be a different Sunday? All right. But he says in chapter 3, trust me. Trust me. And man, when I heard this as a 19-year-old, I got excited. When I heard Bill Stafford give story after story after story of God supernaturally blessing people who were willing to step out and trust him. So he says in chapter 3, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now let me say, why do we tithe? I, I want to give you some good news. God is not broke. God does not need our money. We give back. As a way of acknowledging that everything we have belongs to God. Giving should be the greatest time, or one of the greatest times of worship in a service. It's kind of bad we can't pass the, the plate anymore for the COVID, but that should be a time that we get excited. You guys don't look happy. You don't look happy. We're not going to pass the plate. All right, everybody take a deep breath. We're going to make it through. All right. 
So he says, try me, prove me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He says, trust me, prove me. See if I'm not big enough to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to bless you so much you can't receive it. And people say, oh, don't expect God to do anything. Just give and don't expect. Why would he promise that if he wasn't able to deliver? And by the way, I mean, I got a lot of things I can go on record. I think the greatest thing God gives back is not money. I believe when he brings joy, when he gives back so much more in life that money cannot buy. Money, material stuff, is the minimal of God's blessing. By the way, after he says this, he goes on to say, by the way, as a bonus, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake that he won't destroy your field, and I'm a, all the nations on the earth are going to call you blessed. If you'll trust me, if you're willing to give and honor me, I will open the windows of heaven. As a 19-year-old, I said, I, I want in on some of that. God said, as a 19-year-old, I want you to give your, your paycheck away this week. Then I did have to go pray about it. I did have to go pray about it. But I found in my life through giving that God blesses. And when I was a 21, 22-year-old, I got called to First Baptist Church of Gerald, which you know, most of you have heard my story. And when I went down there, it was just a small church. They were running about 25. They were going to pay $325 a month. And they, they only had bivocational guys. But I felt like God said, I want you to go full time. 325 a month. That was total package. That was all benefits plus salary. 325 a month. And it wasn't that they were cheap. Our yearly budget was $10,000 a year. So I was getting about half of it. Where's Bernard Perkins? Bernard up there. He was actually one of the, the original uh, members at First Baptist Gerald. He's still with me today. That guy's been through a lot. Pray for Bernard. But God took that little church, and I remember the privilege. See, he said, I, I mean, I'm just being honest. Almost everybody around me, my, my people said, Don't, you'll never make it. You'll, you'll, there's no way on paper you can make it. And there was no way on paper, but on that paper I could make it. God said, if you'll trust me, if you'll just believe me. And so $50, first $50 I gave back to the church. And I could give you story after story after story how God took that little church who was willing to believe God and trust God. And I just want to stand before you today and say, I made it! I'm here today because of the goodness of God. Now, you say, well, whenever there are hard times, I ate a lot of peanut butter and crackers. I really did. But of all the things God blessed me with at Gerald, and I saw that little church, we grew from like the first month I was there, we averaged 26. We got up in seven years, we averaged about 135. But of all the things that I got to experience, the greatest gift God gave me was my spouse. Isn't that like God to give you more than what you ever could hope for? I'm standing before you today saying our God is able. And the only way I know to walk in his economy is to trust him, to believe that God is able to do what he says. I better get going. We won't get done. You guys aren't amen enough because I'm, I'm dragging it out. Luke 6, 38, on the, uh, Jesus said this. Let's all read it together. Give, 
and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. What a promise. If you give out in spoonfuls, you get back in spoonfuls. If you give out in cups, you get back cups. If you use buckets, you get back in buckets. Give, and it will be given to you. But don't expect anything. Don't. Is it okay if I believe God, trust God? I mean, he, he's the one that made the promise. We're almost done, so everybody take a breath. We're almost done. You guys, we're going to make it. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 are two great chapters in the New Testament challenging the church to give. Because the church at Corinth had made a promise to give a year before, but then they got so caught up and things were tight, they never followed through with what they promised. And so here Paul's trying to challenge them to give, to learn. And so he uses uh, terminology that any farmer would understand. He says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love how someone said God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll accept from a grouch. But anyway, that's not in the Bible. I'm just throwing that out. But that word cheerful, by the way, if you look it up, it means hilarious. Hilarious. Woo! It's offering time. Oh, I can't wait. I thought it would never get here. Now, I've been around a while. I've never seen many people happy at offering time. They look like you're in that dentist waiting room waiting to go in. But what would happen if we would understand the joy of giving back and worshiping God through giving? God loves a cheerful giver. Hilarious, like a clown. Because when you learn to give, that's really the nature of God. The verse we love to quote, for God so loved the world, he gave. And when you realize that real love, you want to give. And so while we're on this journey, and again, I don't, I, the reason I never take an offering at the end of a service, by the way, when I talk about giving, some people give out of emotion and then they get home and realize what they did and they get mad at me. That's why you need to go home and pray about it. It's, it's a lifetime journey. You don't just dump it all in one shot. But walk in the Spirit, and you'll find that as you'll learn the joy, it really is a blast to be able to just share along the journey of life and to be able to give back. He goes on to make this promise, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance Kind of sounds like he wants to bless our socks off. If we'll learn the joy of giving. And I know, again, people say, boy, we're going through tough times. I don't know if we should talk about giving. I want to close with this story of, of uh, Elijah back in the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 17, I think around verses 8 to, to 16, somewhere in there. Remember Elijah, there was a drought. And God said, I want you to go up to Zarephath. I have a widow up there that's going to take care of you. Now, I would be thinking, rich widow, rich widow, rich widow. She's going to take care of me. And he gets up there to Zarephath. And if you remember, the woman was out collecting sticks. And she was going to cook the last little flour she had, the last little oil. And she was going to eat it, her and her son, and they were going to die. And Elijah got up there. She was flat broke. 
And Elijah said to the woman, could you bring me something to drink? And she went to get the water, and and as she was going, Elijah said, by the way, would you make me a little cake to eat? And she said to Elijah, as the Lord lives, I just have a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I was going to make a cake for my son and I. We were going to eat it and die. And Elijah said, I want you to first make some for me. And you may say, that is so mean. That is so cruel. Can I tell you, Elijah did her the biggest favor he could do. To teach this widow that if she'll get in on God's economy. And by the way, she obeyed the word of the Lord. Before she and her son ate, she made a little cake for Elijah. And the Bible says, in all the days of the famine, her flour never ran out and her oil never dried up. She enjoyed in the famine what the millionaire couldn't buy. Come on, you got to be a little happy there, huh? Some of you are holding on and saying, how am I going to make it through? Either get in on God's economy or we we go crazy trying to figure it out. I am so thankful to be a part of a church that is a giving church. I really am. The three churches I've pastored have all been amazing in the area of giving. So I'm able to stand and say that God is blessing this church because it's a giving church. And so I just want to encourage you, keep on doing. Don't get discouraged in doing well. Because when the king comes back, one of the things he wants to do is see, have we been faithful with what he's given us? And I hope that he looks at every single one of us and says, well done, you were faithful. I want to close, and this is a slide you've been waiting for, the last slide. Someone said you can't go through life with a catcher's mitt on both hands. Got to give something back. And the joy of the Christian journey is that joy of being able to give back. Let's all stand together as we have just a time of prayer. Now in the first service, I didn't do it in the second service, I don't think. But the first service, I had everybody grab their billfold or their wallet. And again, we're not going to take an offering. But you know, if you were to go through your checkbook, you can probably tell what's important to you. And the truth is, again, God has blessed us so much in America. Even the poorest people in America would be considered rich in 99% of the countries. You say, well, I don't have as much as the next guy. And it doesn't matter how much you have. It's being faithful with what God has given you. That really is the key. And if God can trust us to give out of our poverty, I think God will walk us into his riches. I remember a guy, the church I grew up in, the guy used to say, I don't know why I remember this, but at offering time, he'd pray the same prayer all the time. He say, Lord, bless those that can give and those that cannot. Can I tell you, I don't, I'm just being honest. I don't know where anywhere in the Bible where God ever blesses someone who doesn't give. And it isn't about how much. But even the poorest people, the woman who gave two mites, and Jesus said she's given more than everybody. It's, it's not about the amount. But when you learn to give out of your poverty, 
God will trust you with his riches. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, how many of you are excited about the offering next week? Yeah, you have to pray about it. It grows on you. It grows on you. If you can help tomorrow with uh, pulling up the floor, Josh is in the back there. And so see Josh. He's in the, I think it's a blue striped shirt. So anyway, see Josh if that's something that you're able to help with. And so again, I appreciate your faithfulness. I love, I love this church. And I hardly ever talk about money. If you come here, you will hardly ever hear a sermon about money. It's not because it's not exciting to me. I just know that many times it's not received well. I understand that. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. I thank you for how you've entrusted us with natural ability and gifts and also financially. And I just pray that we would be good stewards of what you've given us. Teach us the joy of giving back along the journey and just sharing as you have blessed us. Help us to learn the secret of the farmer that the more we sow, the more we reap. I pray that we would give with a cheerful heart. Fill us with your spirit, empower us to live for you, in Jesus' name, amen.